You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast, sponsored by Lono Coffee. Visit LonoCoffee.com, use promo code COFFEE2020 for a discount. I have a feeling some of you might want a nice cup of coffee on New Year's Day. Lono Coffee can help you out. Today, I had to hustle to get this one out because of the Dwayne Haskins news. But I visit with my pal, J.P. Finley from NBC Sports Washington and the Washington Football Talk podcast. We talk about the Haskins release, I think we both agree can't really compare this one to the RG3 situation. And I chat with ESPN's Tim McManus about the team he covers, the Philadelphia Eagles. The game matters quite a bit, so get your intel here. You can follow JP on Twitter at JPFinleyNBCS, and you can follow Tim at Tim underscore McManus, MC capital M-A-N-U-S. I have a few stories up on ESPN.com right now, going in depth on the Haskins situation and what happened in his time here. And now, here's my conversation with NBC Sports Washington's J.P. Finley. All right, J.P., well, I think you and I have seen a lot here, and I don't think this comes as a big surprise, a surprise at all to anybody, but the ending feels, I don't know, I wouldn't say shocking, but the speed of it feels shocking, maybe. I, how do you process this? Yeah, it's tough because you're right. I mean, honestly, a lot of us expected this last week or like a sort of an indefinite suspension or something Um, that didn't come, obviously. You know what some of it was? And and you and I both were on it. Like we were both on that Monday morning presser and there was no indication this was coming. And I kind of think that's how Ron likes it. I kind of think Ron likes messing with us a little bit. If you think about it, well, he's admitted that he sets up his – his medical staff meeting after he meets with us so that he's not lying when he tells us he hasn't gotten a medical update. Like, I think it was intentional that this happened after he got done with all his media obligations. A thousand percent. And and then we don't talk to him again until Wednesday. Um, Not shocking, but still at the moment it happened, when it hit my phone, I was like, oh, wow. And all of a sudden, like, you know, you're, for you and I, it's like you know your day just got turned upside down. <laughs> just um, a little bit. Right, dude. It was beautiful weather. I actually had a tea time to play nine holes this afternoon. I um, could have gone on a bike ride, man. Yeah, that, that obviously didn't happen. No. Um, but dude, when you combine the nonsense, when you combine the the maskless strip club party with really a like a remarkably terrible performance, yeah. It, it if you can't help them on the field and you're a distraction off the field, why do you keep them? Right. I think it's just always a shock when something like this ends, especially because it was so fast, but certainly even yesterday after the game, I mean, my story, I know, I, you know, your, um, 
you know, European, you talked on the air about how this is like, that was one of the worst performances you'd seen. And for me, it sealed his fate in a negative way because he had one chance to show maybe not even just for here, but to put film on that you can go do this for somebody. Cause I always felt like that release was going to come in the off season. Totally. Um, you know, but do you think in hindsight now, Michael Phillips and I had him on after the game, but we talked about this last week about his piece about, you know, Ron had the chance to show the culture stuff and all that in hindsight, should they have done this last week? I don't think so. And, and I mean, we're all close friends, right? Like I said this to Philly, um, Ron's trying to win a game. He's trying to win a division title. He doesn't know that he can trust Heineke and on paper, Dwayne should be way better than Heineke. So I, I think that's why he kept him around and, Gave him the start and even brought him back out in the third quarter when when I very much think Dwayne should have been benched at that point. Just right. go to Heineke. But I think I think it, it was maybe accelerated cutting Dwayne because Heineke played better than him. It, yeah. it was no longer theoretical. There was evidence that all right, this other guy, all five foot ten of him, can play better than the guy that threw fifty touchdowns at Ohio State. And I think the hard part, too, were some of the mistakes that kept being made. And, like, you know, you talk to people and, like, there are just, like, basic route combinations against a particular look that it's an automatic that you go to this route. And he struggled to do that. Those are things that kept happening and happened again yesterday. And those are things, like, when you see that and then you see Heineke operating the way he did. And I'm not going to make – I'm like, a, none of, nobody's going to make a bigger deal than it is out of Heineke. I think the big deal was that he looked more comfortable in this offense than Haskins did. That's what, to me, was eye-opening. And, you know. And certainly more decisive. And, uh, right. it, you know, uh, I, a lot of your listeners have probably never enjoyed sitting next to you in a press box and how frustrated and animated you get <laughs> when something is there and, and Kime sees it and the quarterback doesn't. And. I mean, you and I have probably watched every snap of Haskins' professional career. You yeah. probably watched every snap of his college career. Cool. Yeah, uh, He's not a guy that throws to a spot before the receiver is there. No. Right? I can't think of a lot of examples. And in Scott Turner, and hell, in O'Connell's scheme, it, it, in every professional scheme, but certainly in, in this scheme now, you have to do that. You have to trust your guy's going to get there. And I think because Dwayne has the big arm, he counted on his arm. And when Heineke got in, Heineke doesn't have a big arm. He's, oh. he's not a strong arm guy. It was all about timing and being intuitive and throwing to a spot and trusting the system. And I think that's why you saw success kind of right away. Um, and, and to, no, I don't think Taylor Heineke is the long-term answer here. But <laughs> he, uh, he gave them something. That, and, Kyle, I don't know what you think, but I thought that performance from Dwayne – was so bad. It was bad. That I think all the off-field stuff was on his mind. People worry about if the team's going to be distracted. I wonder if he was distracted because I don't know what Dwayne's ceiling is. I don't know that he'll ever be a QB1 for an NFL team, but I don't think he's that bad either. I don't think he's as bad right. as the Panthers. I think, and it's funny because like the ceiling I heard, and somebody was talking, I was talking about this again with today with someone else. And before the draft, I heard for some people who did not who weren't high on him, their their ceiling for him was Byron Leftwich. That is like that was the, the absolute best they felt he could become. And he is not like I think right now they'd be thrilled with Byron Leftwich. Sure. If that were the case. So you brought up this. I saw this tweet you had on, on Twitter about don't compare this to the RG3 situation. And I would agree with you. I do agree with you. 
why but why i want explain why you said that i think it's just a way too boiled down overly simplified comparison and to start with i think people now forget how successful robert was as a rookie and that he for a season anyway revolutionized the nfl and i think kyle shanahan deserves some credit for the offensive system but robert I mean, broke the NFL that year. And so I think that is a huge part of it is that Dwayne never had really any success. I mean, the high watermark of his career was six quarters against the Eagles and the Giants in week weeks 15 and 16 of the 2019 season in two games Washington lost. And he just completed a bunch of passes and looked decent. Um, and you know what? He actually looked good in the first half against. Right. He looked good against the Giants, right? The first half, and then he yes, got hurt. Ankle injury. So to compare those two, the level of success is nowhere near comparable. And and I just think it's 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 unfair to Robert to try to compare Dwayne's rise and fall to Robert's rise and fall because Dwayne's is almost entirely self-inflicted, if not entirely. Now, he was put into a bad situation in 2019. But people get put into bad situations. That that happens in life. You have to overcome it. And and he always talked about stuff like that. That's one of the things that frustrates me with Dwayne is that like we have heard him say the right things over right. and over and over. And then there's just no implementation of it. Whereas Robert, Robert always had a huge ego, right? I, I don't even think he would dispute that. But he was a fantastic football player. And then injuries really let him down. And then injuries and infighting and everything else that happened – it kind of fell apart. I just, I don't think it's a fair comparison really whatsoever. Right. And I think the other thing is too, with Robert, what I always understood from fans is even a few years in, I could understand why they didn't quite grasp what was going on with him. Because like we all did, like, even though I knew what was going on or what you'd hear, what was going on, you'd say, but I saw him in 2012. I saw this. It wasn't a mirage. The offense was really good, but he made it work. With Haskins, there, there, there isn't any of that. There isn't. You're not going to walk away. Like there are going to be some people who will always blame this franchise because that's what they want to do. But you, you owe it to yourself to put in the work. And if you're putting in the work, again, I was talking about this with someone else today that you know teams will go, will hang on to you for a while if you're putting in the work. And they use Daniel Jones's example in New York about a guy like you change regimes. But they're going to go. They're going to try and make it work with him because they see the work that he does. And you know, with Dwayne, they weren't seeing that. So his leash, he's done now because of that. And with Robert, you know, it was it was injuries and all that. But like, I agree that it just it never. You know, I can understand why people don't understand what happened with him. But you should understand what happened with Dwayne is that's as much on him as anybody else. And when it's JP, it's two staffs that that soured on him and what how he approached it. Totally. It's two different staffs entirely almost. And it's obvious. It's brazen. Like the RG3 stuff, you can try to blame on Kyle Shanahan, Mike Shanahan, Robert. Maybe the blame is somewhere in the middle. Dan Snyder was overly involved. Bruce Allen was involved. I mean, there's a million layers to that, right? Right. But Haskins was on Twitter with a stripper, like during COVID. Who else do you blame that on? And it was his second COVID violation. Right. there's no, there's not a, 
there's not a ton of there's not a ton of layers to this. <laughs> no, there really isn't. So last last thing here, where do you think what do you think happens in the offseason? Because now even before this, they were going to need a quarterback. What do you think is going to? I think the Alex calf injury is just a, a reality check, honestly, that they have to address the the situation. And we both know and respect the hell out of Alex, but sure. you really need to roll with him at age thirty seven. Now that he's missing games, even that he's fought all the way back, and you're always going to have questions about that leg, even if it really is just um, a mild calf sprain. Um, I think, though, the defense is too good to waste it. So right. if you want to draft a guy, I'd be all for that. But it's got to be a guy that the whole organization is all in on as, as someone that can win right away, not a project. And if you want to go a project route, I think that's fine, too. But then you've got to have a, a veteran in here. Um, yep. And I think there's going to be guys available, man. I, I think what's Atlanta going to do? What's Detroit going to do? Right. What's Dallas going to do? I, I mean, and that's before you even get to like the Mariotas. Mariotas, um, Darnold, people scream about. Although now they might keep them depending where they go. I think they'll the keep them now, but yeah. And it, um, and it goes back, yeah, it goes back to what I said with with Haskell, with with him, like with Jones. They know the work that he does, so I think they're going to try and keep him around. Plus, they he's not. I don't think the other prospects are going to wow them more than what Donald does. No, outside of Lawrence. Well, I think the Jets will end up at like three now, right? Possibly. I don't know, but the defense is too good to waste. Uh, windows close fast in the NFL, and you can't take right. it for granted. I think they need a middle linebacker, and that defense could be really good. Right. Well, there you go. Another crazy day, JP. Thanks for coming on, and long Anytime. day for us again. It's just another day on this beat, man. Just when you think, just when you think it's safe to go outside, they pull you back in. Seriously, can I ask you a very quick one, Kyle? Yeah, sure. You think we are inside locker rooms after practice again? I don't. I think that ship has sailed. You know, after game, I ha- but not after practice. I haven't thought about it in a while. I haven't thought about that. Um, I talked about it with somebody today. Sorry, that's a very random question. Yeah, no, but I I could see that being the case. I could see them setting up an interview room and they bring guys in. And then if you want a one-on-one, you could set it up in some fashion. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case either. And, you know, they're going to have to set up an interview room, but it will not be this. I think – Things will change. Some things are definitely going to change. Yeah. I'll just be happy we can get out there in the spring and talk to coaches that we started covering a year and a half ago. Totally agree. Totally agree. I'll see you, man. All right. See you, man. Thank you, Con. Later. After this break, I'll be back with ESPN's Tim McManus. We talk about Carson Wentz's future, Jalen Hurts' impact, and what the Eagles might have left. It is almost that time when you put your name in a grid and hope that your box hits the final score. But you don't have to wait until February to start winning. With Boxes, you can play box pools every day for every game. Boxes is completely free to play, and you can win big. Washington football fans who download the app from the App Store or go to Boxes.com, that's B-O-X-I-Z.com, and use our code KIME20 can enter our contest where the lucky winner with the final score of the Eagles-Washington game will receive $100. We'll have new games every week and incredible prizes in the playoffs 
and for the big game that will include tickets to games next year when fans can finally return in 2021. So go to Boxes.com for more information or download the app now. B-O-X-I-Z. Use the code KIM20, that's K-E-I-M 20, when you sign up and when you enter our contest for the Washington-Philadelphia game. It's free for you and your friends to get in and win. Boxes. It's anyone's game. Welcome back. Now here's my conversation with ESPN's Tim McManus. All right, Tim. Well, back in week one, when Washington upset the Eagles, I thought all it would do is kind of be a pain in the butt loss for a Philly en route to a division title. Now, what the hell happened in between? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you have enough time to answer that, but what happened? Yeah, that would be the uh, the central question here in Philly. What the hell happened? Um, you know, especially because, John, they went into the season as the only team in the division that had continuity at the coaching staff. And it was the pandemic shortened off season. And the thought was, you know, you have Carson Wentz and you have the consistency with Doug Peterson and his crew. And that should lead to uh, the Eagles dominance in a down division. And the, the down division part was right. But the dominance was not. Um, I think that uh, this is a, a head coach who kind of um, his expertise is is uh, kind of loving uh, players up, getting them to buy in, uh, having these kind of connections with them. And in this kind of distant way of coaching, I don't think it, it really translated particularly well for Doug Peterson. And clearly. We saw the regression of Carson Wentz, which was its own sort of anomaly, which really factored in along with this just continuing injury situation that has really plagued the Eagles for the past like three plus years now. It's just a, right. it's a major problem. I think you put all of those things together and, and you get the kind of season that the Eagles have had. What is Peterson's future there? Well, that's the uh, that's the question number two in Philly right now, uh, maybe along with the, uh, the quarterbacks. Yeah. Uh, you know, he came out today and said that he felt uh, very confident that he would remain the head coach. And that was a different tone that he struck when I asked him a, a few weeks back. Like, have you been you know, guaranteed your your security for uh, for next year? And he said he had not. And uh, so this was sort of the, the more, most confident and forceful he was on that topic, which means maybe he uh, he got some assurances behind the scenes. And I think just talking around the league and people around the organization, there is, I think, a general sentiment of it was a weird year. This is a guy that delivered a Super Bowl in 2017. He had taken the Eagles to the playoffs uh, three previous seasons before this one. And so and given the kind of the what is some perceive as like a lack of a, a talent pool or at least a, a thinner talent pool at the head coaching position in terms of available candidates this year, that it, it might not be wise to move on from Peterson. So, you know, Laurie has that final say and I'm not in his brain, but I guess I would put the odds of him uh, returning greater than, than him getting fired. And then Carson Wentz's future. Again, the other question big there, but what's his yeah. what's what do you think happens there? I mean, they have to uh they have to be honest with themselves and recognize that they can only move forward with one quarterback, in my opinion. Uh, because I think that they're gonna end up in the exact same spot that they are right now if they decide to bring both of those quarterbacks back. Like they can paint this picture of, you know, we've got this plan and don't worry, Carson. Right. Uh, you're going to be the, the first guy and you're going to have your, your, your share. I don't know if he's going to trust that plan after the 
the plan uh, this year totally blew up when he received assurances, like you don't have to look over your shoulder, everything's fine. And then what happened? He, he got benched and Jalen Hurts is, is now the starter for the last quarter of the season. I think that if you reinvite that, you're going to reinvite a quarterback controversy. Um, and I don't know that you can give up on Jalen Hurts right now. They, the organization saw something in him where they, they selected him in the second round, even though they had a franchise guy. Uh, so I think that um, at least the way it's lining up right now, that you know Wentz's future here is is far from certain. I'm not sure that he's going to be on the roster next year. And is he going to be hard to move because of that deal? Or I mean, he's obviously got the talent. He's and he's shown in the past what he can do. This has been a, a you know certainly not the year anybody expected. And what would what you would have guessed given his background? But can they? How how easy will he be to move? Do you think? I think it'll be pretty easy. I mean, they might have to do I mean, the talent. There. Everybody wants a quarterback. So that, I guess I'm looking at the contract. And if people think he's good, then it should be easy. Yeah, that's kind yeah. of good. And really, I mean, his contract, if you believe that he's like a top 15 starter in the sure. NFL, it looks kind of online with with what that would look like uh, across the league. And as you know, John, there's a lot of uh, a lot of egos in this business and a lot of confident coaches who see something yeah, sure. and fix that. Uh, and true. And certainly Wentz has the track record. I mean, he was almost an MVP in 2017. You know, he's he's got a he's had a lot of really good moments and some good seasons in this league. And so I don't I don't think that he would be that hard to move. Um, you know, it's just a question of Philly, like, okay, you have Hurts, so what do you do with that? And then Peterson and Wentz haven't been able to really sync up as a play caller and quarterback. So if you're bringing Peterson back, can you can you really bring Wentz back as well? I mean, it's right. fun. Really complicated offseason, a lot of important decisions in front of this team. It's funny because there will be dominoes to fall because there are a lot of teams, including the one I cover, that will need a quarterback next year. I can't imagine that Philly would want to trade him in the division. This is not a Donovan McNabb where Andy Reid knows he's done situation. But we'll, you know, so, but I think maybe there's a team that could get him, that Washington could get their guy, whatever. Um, What kind of spark has Jalen Hurts provided? Well, a, a big one, I would say. Uh, this offense was really stagnant for the better part of the year. And there was a question of, is it Peterson? Is it Wentz? And, you know, kind of what I w- started to see that I couldn't really unsee once I saw it is that is that Wentz was um, just slow in delivering the football. Uh, he was not uh, decisive or confident uh, in his decision making and that was all leading to kind of the the breaking down of of this offense you know he absorbed essentially uh, 69 uh, negative plays between the 19 turnovers and the 50 sacks that he took before yeah. he got bent in week 12 and it's just really hard to function that way uh, when Hertz came in uh, this the system um, was kind of abbreviated and so he didn't have a ton to think about. He was able to just go out and execute what he knows, you know, the RPOs, he was doing his own reads. He was trusting uh, what, you know, the coaches were setting him up for uh, using his legs and, and uh, accuracy on deep balls to, to, provide a spark for this team. Now, you know, last, this past game against Dallas was, was his worst. Um, it's going to, yeah, he had three turnovers, you know, there's going to be a lot of bumps in the road. It, it's not all going to be like it was the first two and a half games that he played, but, you know, certainly showed some promise and that the league seems to be trending towards, you know, the, the quarterbacks that can do both. Right. I mean, yeah. it, that can, that can hurt you with their legs and their arms and, and hurts can certainly do that. Yeah. And, and, you know, this, t- and a lot of teams have trouble defending that kind of a quarterback. Um, in that first game, Washington's defensive line kind of dominated with the sacks and all that. 
where where is the Eagles line line at right now? Is that and I know like from your perspective, you got to look at big picture beyond this game. For Washington fans, they got to look at this game and what can they take advantage of. What is the state of that Eagles line right now? Yeah, so it's it's a mess, uh, you know, compared to what they thought it would be. You know, Lane Johnson, their starting right tackle isn't there. Their starting right guard and Brandon Brooks isn't there. It's basically like Jason Kelsey and, and the left guard Isaac Sayamalo are, are the only two original pieces from that offensive front. And even their depth has taken a hit with a guy like rookie Jack Driscoll. And then their their current starting left tackle and Jordan Maialata suffered a concussion on a questionable hit against Dallas uh, and he's in the protocol and we'll have to see uh, how that goes this week and, and whether he'll be available. So they have one of the best offensive line coaches in the, in the league and Jeff Stoutland, who has done a really nice job of piecing it together, uh, getting the best out of his guys, but it's a, it's a patchwork offensive line at best. What do you think happens with that defensive a brutal day yesterday, but I know there are a lot of guys missing and Fletcher Cox goes out. What do you think will be the health for that group? I know we're talking about this game six days in advance, but what will be the health of that group, do you think, come Sunday? You could actually see the difference in the defense when Cox was in there and Cox left. I mean, it was it was mm. a totally different ball game uh, when, he, when he left that Dallas game. Now, he didn't practice the week leading up to that with a neck injury. He leaves with a stinger. He's been on the injury report with that neck injury for weeks. You know, so this is something that is not going to be going away over full days it's just a matter of can he play and then can he sustain in that game uh add to that that they were missing Dirk Barnett and Josh Sweat two of their uh, primary edge rushers and and that's why uh, they weren't able to get to the quarterback and that's why the secondary uh, was in as much trouble uh it's you know it's a secondary that's been diminished by injury in its own respect so um you know I they looks like they're going to be getting some help back. Uh, you know, Barnett, I think, is trending in the right direction. So they might get him back. Cox is a question mark at this point. And they made that move uh, in the Dallas game to put Jalen Mills uh, from safety back to his natural cornerback uh, position uh, to, to help stabilize things. And uh, maybe we'll expect that this upcoming week. And so it's a it's a group that's that that's hurting and they're going to have to kind of piece it together. So it's it's not exactly uh, Washington is going to be going up against the uh, the best version of this Philadelphia defense. Well, this Philadelphia defense might be facing Taylor Heineke. So, you know, I don't, I don't know, <laughs> you know, we'll keep that in perspective for a minute here. Last thing though, you know this team, this franchise. It's been a brutal year. How ready are for they are they for this to end? And what do you think they may have left for one game that Washington absolutely needs to win? Well, I mean, there's a lot of prideful guys on this team. There, there is um, some of the uh, the championship nucleus that that still exists. You know, guys like Brandon Graham and and Jason Kelsey, um, and the, the coach. Um, you know who. His job, even though he's feeling confident, maybe isn't certain, and and he needs to get his guys to play. and And if they feel like he's in jeopardy in any way, they'll they'll probably play for him. So, uh, I think one of the trademarks of Doug Peterson teams is that they usually rally late, uh, that they don't give up on the coach or the situation, uh, even when it is get it gets bad. So, uh, they're not going to be fully staffed, but I do expect them to be fully engaged. Um, it'll probably hurt. Uh, Certainly Philadelphia fans, if a Philadelphia win means a Dallas playoff berth, but, uh, but I think that the team's <laughs> going to give it a go. Yeah, and, and it'll be interesting to see, too, what Deshaun Jackson does against his secondary, which has given up big plays, and I think that'll be something to watch as well. Tim, thanks a lot for coming on, and I can't believe that I'm the one here that might be covering a playoff team this year, so that that's a surprise to me and to everybody else.
<laughs> well, just extend your season even longer, John. Just what you yeah. need. Yeah, you know, because it's been quiet. So we needed something else to happen here. So exactly. All right, right. Tim. Thanks a lot. Thanks All a lot. Right, happy New Year to you. You've heard me talking about Lone Oak Coffee for a couple months now. Let me tell you a little bit about who they are and what they're about. Lone Oak Coffee is based in the Shenandoah Valley, just a nice bunch of people who are open for business during this trying time. Just look at their website, loneoakcoffee.com, and what do they highlight? Their core values of quality, family, transparency. They work with co-op farmers from all over the world to source their beans. They also support small farmers to find the right beans. During this pandemic, one of my saving graces has been grinding my beans from Lone Oak Coffee and taking a few minutes before the day to savor the coffee, get my mind right, put a little jazz or Frank Sinatra or Louis Armstrong on in the background, it's even better. I've enjoyed all their blends, but among my favorites, the Ethiopian Guji, love the berry flavor, the Mexican Chiapas, and their house blend. Start your day off right with Lone Oak Coffee. Visit LoneOakCoffee.com, that's L-O-N-E, OAKCoffee.com. Use promo code COFFEE2020 for a discount. You can thank me later. That's it for this episode. Thanks to JP and Tim for coming on, and thank you, as always, for listening. Thanks, as always, to Lono Coffee for their continued support. I'll be back with another episode Thursday, talking to former Washington tight end Logan Paulson about the Eagles game and much more. Talk to you next time.